I just love to see good art hit the public. I was blown away the very first time I went to Grand Park Sunday Sessions because I'd never seen a little kids dancing to bang in Chicago house music and never seen people like in public just unified under that. And I was like, what is this place? You're listening to Record Room, a podcast where we meet the artists behind an album we love. I'm Will Felker. When I spoke to Duncan Woodbury a few weeks ago, I was pretty shook by how much we had in common. I wanted to talk to him about his debut project as Maya Kamas, an EP called I-5 after the main interstate highway that runs along the Pacific coast of the U.S. And Lower Grand, the label he's just launched with friend Mitchell Cauley. Both topics were covered, but what matters more to me is that our conversation spiraled out of control. We ended up talking about major life events for both of us, a shared love for hyphy rappers, and Duncan's low-key fixation on buses. This is not a warning of a long and drawn-out episode. Believe me, I cut it down for length and clarity, but rather just to give you the full picture of how good it feels when two music nerds find each other. It is definitely my greatest pleasure in life. But you probably knew that from listening to this show. I guess I'm sorry if you found that intro nauseatingly sweet, so let's get down to it. Here's Maya Kamas on Record Room. I'm from the Bay Area. I grew up in Sonoma, uh, which is where the name Mayacamas comes from. That's the mountain range that separates Sonoma and Napa Valleys. And it, it goes back to kind of like my college days, I guess, at CalArts, uh, where, I mean, CalArts is literally right next to I-5. And I would, you know, go back and forth between the Bay Area and Los Angeles sometimes 10, 12 times a year. So I've spent, you know, hundreds of hours on I-5, and a lot of it was spent, you know, with friends, and in particular was 
where I first ever heard house music. And I probably, probably some techno in there too, but like I'd never appreciated any kind of four on the floor dance music until like that point in my life. In high school, I was like a big jazz nerd and was into, started to get into like trip hop and Aphex Twin and like weirder stuff, but like, and always kind of like, oh, four on the floor, like what is that all about? Um, but like fell in love with that, like going back on these drives and really like feeling that repetition and, and kind of falling in love with that. And over time, like that kind of influence permeated into my music for a long time. I was, I, I used to go by a moniker defunk. So I was doing more hip hop related stuff, like LA, kind of LA beat scene stuff, very hyphy influenced. So always like a synth presence. Good Keek the Sneak song. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Lots of Keek the Sneak, lots of... Nicotina. Nicotina. I mean, E-40 is probably my favorite rapper of all time. That's the entrepreneur I look up to. Sorry to cut E-40? you off. E-40? But... Oh, dude, he's the best. He, he Did is... you try his 40, though? The last time I was home, uh, I just felt, you know, obliged to get, like, the E-40-40 in. Um, I haven't had disgusting. the 40. I'm sure it's not great. Uh, I've had, I've had a, what is it, a Mango Scotto. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, I think even like, like Dub C from uh, Westside Connection attributes E-40 and like a trip to the Bay Area in like 1992 for like turning him on to self-entrepreneurial musicianship. But yeah, anyway, so I-5, so yeah, that was, that was the place that, that it kind of happened for me. And as you know, I, I had been writing all this new music after kind of deciding to ditch defunct and become my economist. And it, I mean, this was back in late 2014, 2015, when I was really writing and recording this. And it made sense to me at the time, like I was just kind of letting it flow out. And that later kind of hit me when I was driving back on a trip, listening to some of these demos that like there was a connection between these tracks and the i5 and what the i5 meant to me, which was this, you know, kind of connecting point between my home where I grew up and Los Angeles where I now live and call home. And the only constant that I've had in the last 10 years is that I've been driving up and down that highway and listening to music and thinking about music. And it kind of all came together. So the tracks are, you know, named and inspired by different stops roughly along the way. Now you hit it. I love it. Santanella is my favorite song, and I uh, actually started college at the new UC campus in Merced. Yeah, I was like in their third class while I was there. I eventually transferred to uh, UC Santa Cruz. Yeah, Santanella is where we went when we felt very down <laughs> on the bleakness of Merced, which is not a put down because Merced is a wonderful place, but it yeah. is tru- truly a, a depressed agricultural community when I was there. And um, this was like, 10 years ago. So you can only drive the 99 so many times before you just want to go coastal. (laughs) You know, I ended up living in San Francisco and Santa Monica briefly. And the record really, really reminds me of the drive. Like I almost have to pee at certain points. (laughs) It's a manageable six hour drive. But you know, if you're really trying to like book it, and get there for something. I mean, I remember a lot of times I was overly ambitious with my drives back. Oh, yeah. I've had a few of those. Yeah, I remember like the like the, the same guy, the guy that introduced me to house music, like a drive where we made it from Valencia to Berkeley in like four and a half hours or something like that, which is pretty outrageous. So I'm glad that you appreciate this from the perspective of a Californian. Are you, did you grow up in the Bay yourself? I actually grew up on the East Coast, but then my mom, when I was in high school, she moved out to LA via Sacramento. So yeah, I mean, California feels, I've spent pretty much 
feels like I've spent as much time there as I have here on the East Coast. And and my my parents are there still. My dad's in Southern California. My mom's in, in the Bay in San Francisco. So we're deviating from the podcast right now, but like <laughs> San Francisco just broke me. I, I don't know why I was insistent on living there at like 22 to 25, you know, but yeah, I, I grew up assuming that that would was where I wanted to live, you know, like growing small town outside of San Francisco. Like when I grow up, I'm moving to the city, you know? Yeah. And then after I graduated college, I was like, well, for one, my now wife is from LA and we're riding that whole thing out. But, uh, at the time, but I was like, fucking San Francisco, like is so expensive. I can't even imagine. No joke. Now that I'm in New York, people are like, oh, like, you know, are you adjusting? Okay. Are you having an okay time? And I'm like, I did five years in San Francisco and it killed me. (laughs) So like, this feels very easy. I got a job. I have an apartment, like have friends, you know, and still enough money to like go have a meal somewhere, you know, because, because I'm not paying like $3,900 to rent, you know, the space beneath your bed. appreciate the, the variation in i5 footwork and really propulsive synths and then like some really interesting stuff with like vocals and harmonies and as far as like phasers and things go i just love what you achieved with it the whole thing just like hangs together very very well you know it's got me excited about myakamas and it's got me excited about lower grand and with this is the first you know big release on the label 
I could see you guys really doing anything with it. What was important to me about this is that, like, I was able to, I, I returned to, like, a more programmatic style, like, like, rather than, like, a, like, static composition. Like, as soon as I started to see the narrative in my own experiences and relate that to my experiences with different genres and different sounds, like, it all hit. Like, I think, like, the moment that I realized that Mayakamas was even, like, the right choice as a moniker, I was out in the actual hills of the Mayakamas Mountains, like, hanging out and uh, just visiting my folks. I got out of the car, and I could hear these cicadas. And it, I'd been listening to this guy, Farben, uh, and uh, and had all these, like, really clickety, poppy, like, minimal techno sounds, and it was, like, the same as these cicadas. It, it all, like, hit me in one moment that this, like, you know, agrarian wine country town that I grew up in was connected to these weird Berlin sounds that I've heard and these weird, you know, warehouse parties that I've been to in Los Angeles and Oakland. And it all just, like, came together, and I knew that I had to package this project this way. And, it, and once I did that, it became so much more personal. And frankly, like, it was hard. Like I said, I wrote and did all of this basically, like, late 2014, 2015. It kind of sat shelved. I worked on it here and there. I couldn't stop mixing it. I ended up bringing in a friend of mine to, like, help me finish the mixes and then master it because I just, like, couldn't get out of my head. And then from there, it was another six or seven months before, like, I really put together the plan to release it. And it feels great. I mean, like, there's always a first album hang-up with new artists. Um, and for me, I'm just, like, very excited to put this out there. I'm proud of it. Um, and just the fact that I've the response I've received so far before it's even out has been tremendous. So it's allowed me to really double down in my mentality as an artist. Isn't it nice when you shelve things and dust them off and make them new <laughs> and people actually respond well to them? Yeah, it's crazy. This is all about a, you know, a highway. I have an idea about a particular bus line that I have spent a lot of time on in Los Angeles. Um, uh, yeah, but yeah, there, there will be some ambient vibes to come. I think that, um, in the last, even since I-5 has kind of been completed, I've like realized that ambient music is emerging as a very like necessary form of music for people as time progresses. Like it's not just like go to sleep music or do yoga music. It's, you know, uh, it, it can be like a function of a person's life, especially in a city, like as like a person that was, you know, taking the bus to work every day or working in coffee shops and this and that. Like I, I depended upon ambient music in different forms to kind of be there. And I think it's only growing. And I, I mean, to go back to Aphex Twin, like Selected Ambient Works 1, like the first time I heard it, I was like, this isn't an ambient record. No. Like it doesn't feel like it. It's got beats all over it. I'm like, what is this? And then I realized it's not about like the particular aesthetics of what that is, but it's about how it relates to its function in the listener's life. And yeah. And I think that there's a lot to be explored in that world going forward in music in general, especially as populations grow and, you know, urban sprawl continues that like that is going to be a place that people need new music. And so like, for, so like, yeah, this project coming up is kind of based off of hanging out on a bus, going to work, but like, but like, what are those sounds? What are those textures? What are those themes that connect those parts of your life and how do you perceive that as a listener buses are they have i mean just as like field recordings and uh that kind of natural sound goes they have really some of the more interesting sounds 
you could not mistake or confuse being on a bus if you were blindfolded. Yeah. But I could be on the subway, for instance, and if it were a particularly well-functioning line or car, I might not really necessarily know that I was on the subway until someone sits on me. But Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Or starts playing saxophone at you. (laughs) I love an aggressive saxophone, though. listen to this having the same kind of ambitions or have tried things that you've tried and are doing right now i mean what would you tell them in a low moment i think the problem with these endeavors and initiatives is that a lot of the time you just feel so fucking alone and even though you're you're building a community and you're part of a community and you're known and received and you feel like everyone's your friend like if it's not happening or not happening quickly enough um it it just feels very disheartening the biggest thing that helped me it was just doubling down and just claiming my space for so long i was like why am i not on a label like why isn't this blowing up why is what i'm doing this and that you know and and then i realized uh, you know in this world that we live in now and the distribution models that exist and with the ease of technology like there's no reason not to just double down and claim your space don't treat yourself as a new artist don't think you know because you're not i mean what is a new artist like cardi b a new artist like no she's been working i'm sure a long time to develop that like music is practice and it's about getting it out there and the more you shelve things and sit on it it's not doing any good it's like like put it out and move on to the next thing like it's it's not worth getting hung up on perfection i would say put out great work be thorough and make sure that you're stand by what you 
create. But I don't know, some of my favorite releases of all time are, are casual, you know, funny things. Like, I mean, like Weasel's Ripped My Flesh by Frank Zappa is like maybe one of my favorite albums of all time. And it's a goofy, like, smattering of like live recordings and like stuff that probably didn't make other albums. That's what it is. Uh, these major artists that are so produced and so massive, like nothing feels like it comes from a real, you know, like it's too perfect. And like, there's brilliance in that too. You know, like a Max Martin track is fantastic. I can listen to, but like, but like, don't be afraid to be you. Yeah. I think it's okay if things feel like they suck too. Absolutely. And I mean, I by no means have have uh, any real advice or keys to success just to not get so beat down. And I think what's, what's cool, and like, it's a gift and a curse, obviously, the internet, but like it's a way to connect like-minded people in a way that never really existed before. Like I remember like back even when I was making mostly hip-hop tracks, I would look at my SoundCloud map and see that like most of my plays were coming from Germany. And I was like, that doesn't make sense to me, but like I'm cool with that. Like I'm, I'm glad that like whatever I'm putting out is hitting that somewhere that like to think that people across the pond are digging it, you know, Germans will listen to anything. I don't mean that pejoratively. No, (laughs) dude, they're, they're, they're on another level. I love Berlin. I love all that. I'm sure you have experiences too, but have struggled to navigate like that really vulnerable period in your early twenties, early to mid twenties, where things just seem to bottom out constantly. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the millennial gig economy can beat you down. Uh, if you let it is what I've learned. Yeah. I've, I've experienced that a lot and, um, it's been hard to just like pick myself back up from it, you know? Especially when things just go disastrously wrong or like 
you release an album on Bandcamp and the shit, you know, you spent like a year and a half working on it and it makes six dollars. That's my personal experience. I'm not, I'm not projecting that onto you, but oh no, absolutely. And, and I mean, like, I joke with my friends, like, like that, like, how, like, how stupid is it to, like, dedicate all of my energy to trying to make money selling music in 2018 is, uh, is, is difficult. And so I guess that's like why I've tried to lean towards an artist empowerment model because at least then I know that we're doing everything we can to empower these artists independently and therefore creating a greater sense of unity as a label like i I was just i've been watching uh the defiant ones on hbo i don't know if you've seen that it's like uh Mm -hmm. dr dre and jimmy eovine and jimmy eovine was calling every one of his artists like every night on the phone and you know like i was like that i don't know if i want to be as intense as that dude but like i like his approach to creating like a family vibe and then empowering them to go do crazy shit you know go make the car go sign marilyn manson what's up gwen stefani Oh, you're chilling with Mary J. Blige? Like, that's great. I'll be there in five minutes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know what he's on. He seems jacked up, but I could take a dose of whatever he's on. He's, uh... Both, both those guys, man. I I liked that documentary. I thought it was good. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a, a little bit of a commercial for their shit. But, oh, totally. But that makes it even better. Like, it's a, it's about two ambitious guys who have used creativity and capitalism Yeah. Uh, in a very interesting way. And I think Interscope is, you know, like a, definitely a label that I look up to. Yeah. In starting this, uh, Warp Records is probably not to like kiss ass is like my like ultimate dream of like what a label can be as far as far out their stuff and you know rock band all kinds of stuff. Like I'm constantly blown away with what Warp does. I agree. I agree. Uh, especially as like a Aphex Twin like obsessive. My kind of start to music was as like playing jazz bass. So I've always been a big jazz nerd. So there's always some jazz in my playlists. I'm a big 
Weather Report fan. Uh, mm-hmm. Art Tatum, I, I can listen to endlessly. Like just like one guy on a piano. It like the the way that his hands move up and down, like almost like predict the next thirty years of jazz in yeah. just like these runs. It's truly like unbelievable. Um, but other stuff, man. What do I, I like? I'm listening to all the arts, really. Yeah, Pepper, uh, Farmer, Blakey. <laughs> yeah, all those guys. Yeah, our Pepper's great. Um, but uh, yeah, what else am I listening to? Uh, I've been digging uh, like I don't know, uh, so much techno. Obviously, I really like uh, Phase Fatal and uh, Mesh. I think that's how it, it's like M period E period S period H. Like mm-hmm. this, like harder minimal wave stuff. So it's like, like cool new wave vibes plus like meets Bergheim. So it's just like really mm. like like amazing. Like kind of throwback, but just like really intense. Um, I I love uh, Alessandro Cortini. Uh, been listening to him a lot. He did a record with Mersbo recently. That's pretty wild. Um, but. Uh, but a, a couple of his records are in constant rotation for me. And then, uh, uh, you know, I probably, I think my Spotify top listen to record last year was Ken, Kendrick Lamar, like just so fire. I appreciate how unstylized your <laughs> moniker is. Cause I think when I talk to people about like, you know, especially people who like electronic music and are, I can distinguish like techno and house and sort of like localize them either from, history or scenes or his you know moments in time but then they like don't really seek out new things and i'm always like why don't you do that and they're like because i don't know how to pronounce anybody's name and i'm like that's real if anything i'm cursed by like doing like listening to too much new stuff like sometimes i feel like i never listen to the same thing twice but then when something does stick it really like it really sticks. I try to stay grounded with one ambient and like singer songwriter record. Yeah, I think there's a lot of cool R and B right now too. I'm like really love Kaylani. Something about her is great. Um, the Oakland origin. Yeah, so so <laughs> Oakland, but like just just like cool figure. I see electronic music obviously not going away, but just permeating more and more into like every world. And I think you know again, it's like a function of people's experiences, especially like current political climate and all this stuff. Like what I like crave as a listener I don't know like something raw and that makes me like mimics my anger and like can do that and but also like make it sound fat and sleek and so like there's you know so like as people and the political climate change like we need more synthesizers in our lives <laughs> you know it's not going anywhere and I think it's just getting more diverse and fun as like people explore it I hope too that people either find ways or make the technology and hardware as accessible as possible. I think that electronic music and sort of the staple instruments that one would need to learn the basics were unfortunately not made available in public schools or in outreach programs when I was growing up. Yeah, certainly not. That's a bummer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, when I I actually spent a little bit of time working as a kind of consultant for Los Angeles Unified School District doing it for the arts department and was just kind of blown away by how far behind a lot of public education is when it comes to electronic music. There's still this stigma around it that it's, you know, it's like, it's the rock and roll of its day in a lot of ways. Like it's just dirty club music and yeah, maybe there is a scene surrounded by clubs and 
stuff like that. But like the way that people and the way that kids are going to connect with music ongoing is by stuff that they like. And like John Philip Sousa is not going to cut it anymore. Street Bridge is a company that I founded uh, with my partner Mitch. Uh, we're friends from college, and we're you know two artists that had been kind of freelancing in a couple different areas, uh, and really wanted to put it all together into one umbrella. And you know, it's been a goal of ours to kind of launch what really is a media you know empire under this umbrella. Like Mitchell is more of a filmmaker, uh, and that's like his background, and I'm. Uh, obviously, like in music and audio production. So Lower Grand is really the first uh, step into branching out from 4th Street Bridge. So yeah, th- like this, the music arm of 4th Street Bridge, I'm leading it, have like a vision for it that's very eclectic, but also very unified. I look to labels that are able to program um, electronic music alongside of rock music, maybe even folk music, hip hop, especially because I think that music is way beyond just like like genre based label mm-hmm. projects. Um, so this, yeah, this is stepping up for that. The name of the label itself uh, comes from a street in downtown Los Angeles. It runs underneath Grand Avenue. People go down there to take pictures of like souped up cars and stuff. But it goes underneath like Mocha, uh, the Broad Museum, Walt Disney Concert Hall, all of these like traditional nonprofit arts organizations, which both me and Mitch, my partner, have had a lot of experience working for in production and producing and curating events. So Lower Grand really for us symbolizes kind of like burrowing up from the bottom of this kind of cultural epicenter and 
presenting a fresh take on that. It's nice to hear without being too catch all your ambition to have a wider breadth of music on it. Cause I think one of the failures of really good, strong dance and techno labels, for instance, are that I think a lot of people just find that the, like the seven inch single release cycle, like kind of inaccessible, you know, even if people like really fucking love the music, you know? Um, yeah. It's for the heads and for the collectors and it yeah. totally has a place, but I, I mean, Four Street Bridge was founded on the principles of building community through art. So uh, some of that work has been civic work that we've done with like different municipalities around LA, but like that extends into Lower Grand in that like I want to connect everybody with this music. I mean, I'm worried about the heads and I'm worried about getting a quality experience and amazing music out there, but I want to be able to find ways to connect different audiences and connect those people together that maybe would not have been exposed to weird, you know, Italo disco inspired techno <laughs> stuff. <laughs> so I'm all about people not feeling alienated <laughs> by music and, and the culture around it. I think too often it is. We could just, you know, like sling snobbery all day, but it's kind of joyless, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and you know, it has its place. Like I, I'm, you know, I, I, I was just thinking the other day, like, I don't know whether genre should be entirely abolished or there should just be like 20 million different genres that with their each little specific subsets. Cause like I'm fascinated by it as just like a consumer of music, like, like fiendishly like digging through Spotify and blogs and SoundCloud for like different subsets and, and, and really appreciate it the same way that like you would appreciate like cheeseburger from a burger stand on Pico compared to a, a burger at a fancy restaurant, you know, like, like there's something about like environment and encapsulating something in an envelope that could be genre or could be aesthetic that, that I find fascinating, especially as it affects cultural movements, people, you know, different people connected through the internet or connected through a scene uniting around certain aesthetic things and then on the inverse i'm like fuck all that like pull from whichever movements you want and put it all together and i think that's where lower grand is headed ideally it's an interesting time for music i mean every time is kind of interesting but uh, i feel like the way that there's no real like a and r and marketing kind of capital initiative dictating genre specific trends and things. I don't even know how to constitute like what would be a major label thing. Cause it, it seems very like music video driven or like already by the time the music reaches, you know, a hundred thousand people, it's, you can pretty much just consider it like branded content, even though a lot of in it's interesting people are involved with things. It doesn't feel like it really stems from like a particular moment or a particular sound, you know? Yeah, exactly. It feels like it's cooked up in a laboratory, or at least the way that they, the way that things are rolled out. And, and from a marketing perspective, I can admire it. It's like, wow, like the amount of people working in this machine to push out a hit and make sure that like when it drops, it hits these commercials and maybe a TV placement all at the same time. Just like it, it feels inauthentic. But I don't know. I'm from coming from like a West Coast like super art nerd bubble. I think about like some of the song of the summer contenders some things like, like even that, that fucking um, Bruno Mars and Cardi B song that it was like very new, very new Jack swing derivative. And then I was like, Oh, this is cool. Like maybe this will dictate a little wave of uh new Jack swing revival. And it didn't at all. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Bruno Mars seems to be able to do that. Like, <laughs> 
harken back to a specific thing, but like nobody uh, doesn't seem to catch on. As formulas go, New Jack Swing is about as formulaic as you get, and I, I tend to like it. You know, <laughs> yeah, it, it 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 definitely like airs on like this perfect cheese ball side. There's there's just something so fun about it. Just the, the the harmonies are almost like outrageously major with these really like industrial loud clunky drums that are like so it's that drum machine swing and it feels mm-hmm. like I don't know like so jagged. It's it's really a fantastic combination. Quantize your shit. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So you mentioned some civic projects with Fourth uh, Street Bridge, and then trying to bring that into the Lower Grand initiatives. And I'm wondering what, either what you had some success with in the past, or what you were thinking of doing with the new label. Yeah, I mean, the, most of our civic work with Fourth Street Bridge has been um, through our client services division, which is more marketing and content based. So we've done a lot of like social media management for. Our, uh, we've done some stuff for City of Santa Monica. We've worked with other like corporations that have public-private partnerships and stuff like that. And as far as as far as that relates to Lower Grand is more I think like an ethos. I want to be able to find an artist and like that maybe wouldn't have an opportunity somewhere else and empower them to put out good work, release it, and then have an artist-friendly deal that empowers them to turn themselves into an entrepreneurial enterprise. And, you know, and we'll act, you know, in support of that. That's the the tie there. I, we don't necessarily have any civic projects planned yet. Although I do have an idea for doing like a bus based installation. I really like buses. I think that there's some avenues for that. Uh, I've worked a lot at Grand Park uh, in downtown Los Angeles, producing and promoting events there, like Sunday sessions. So I got involved uh, with production and marketing and engineering stuff there. And I've, you know, always had, like, looked up to that place as a, an inspiration to kind of my artistic life about, like, making really excellent content accessible to people without, like, compromising it. i5 is out now on all streaming and retail platforms. Please visit the links in the description of this episode for information on Maya Kamis, Lower Grand, and Fourth Street Bridge. Record Room is produced and hosted by me, Will Felker. We're mixed and mastered by Federico Foglia. Our theme music is by Dawood Anthony and our artwork by Tom McQuaid. If you made it this far, you're a good person. 